Good morning once again, everyone. Uh, Jack, well done, sir. Well done with your mission trip report. We'll have to schedule you to do that again next year. <laughs> Was that a terrifying experience? Is it a terrifying experience to have me looking down on you from the pulpit? Yes, that's what I thought. <laughs> but I'm grateful for you today. Grateful for Tina, too, for your uh, gifts that you're sharing with us today. Grateful for Tom and Dennis and Nicole and the Handbell uh, group today. And of course, for my fellow pastors, uh, Kelsey, who organized the trip and uh, grateful you brought them all home safe. That's always a fear. Um, and to Pastor Edwin, uh, who made me laugh this morning uncontrollably with, with his comment about the, the very loud scripture reading. It's always good to, to break things with a laugh. Uh, we're going to talk today about the word forever, at least to a degree. We're going to talk about that word forever. It's the last word in the Lord's Prayer. Pastor Edwin will be preaching next Sunday on the word amen. See, the weeks didn't work out perfectly. So I just added the word to the series, the word amen. And he tells me that's extra biblical, but he's going to preach on it anyway. Today we are on the last word of the Lord's Prayer, forever. Forever. And when we think about forever, um, it, it, it's, uh, it's, I think, a comfort. It can be a comfort to know that God has forever under control. And if that's the case, how does that inform the right now? That's what I want to think about with you today. If God has forever, if thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, not just today or tomorrow, but forever, what does that mean for us today? How can we live in light of that? So let us pray. Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. There is anything said this morning that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit this morning that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing obey. Amen. Are you familiar with the, uh, the old saying that you never get a second chance to make a first impression? Are you familiar with that saying? Of course you are. Almost everyone is familiar with that saying. Everyone except, I guess, the principal at my oldest daughter Grace's middle school. I was reminded of him this week as part of my reminiscing as we took her off to college moved her in, one of the worst experiences ever, if you must know. And Gracie, if you're watching, which I know you are, right? It's Sunday morning, of course you want to listen to your dad preach. I know you're doing great, but oh my gosh. <laughs> so I was reminded of this middle school principal when I took Grace to college this week. It, Maybe, maybe some of you are going through this right now, taking kids back to school. We had to go and do an orientation at the school, you know, and we're milling around in this gymnasium. All these parents have sheepishly made their way into this huge concrete building, right? And we're meeting these administrators and we're in the gymnasium and, and the bell rings and we all go and we sit down. That's ingrained in us. 
right? From when we went to school, the bell rings, we sit down. And we did, and we sat down, and we listened to the principal speak. All of us huddled together on the verge of emotional collapse. And the principal said, in three years, you will call this the Wonder School because you will send us your small child to begin sixth grade and then as they graduate from the eighth grade, you will wonder where she went. And I thought, this guy really knows how to make an impression. We all started sobbing, of course. Where did the time go? Our kids were just small, and now they're in sixth grade, and now they're in college. Where does the time go? He was a great principal, though. The first impressions we make on one another are so important. How we start off together can be so significant. How we start off together on a Sunday morning in worship is important. We think about it here at the Kirk. Sometimes I think the Kirk would be an amazing reality television series, by the way. If we were one, our tagline would be, it's always a thrill at Kirk in the Hills. <laughs> you like that? If we ever did that, the best segment of the show would undoubtedly be our staff meetings. In fact, I think it would probably be that way with every church. I might even sign up and pay for a television channel that exclusively looped church staff meetings because they would be such a riot. There are problems large and small that we have to tackle every week at a staff meeting. There are all kinds of concerns from members that we've got to address. You wouldn't believe them. One time, I remember at a former church, a concern was brought to our attention that there was too much talking before the service. I know that there are some places of worship where you'll find complete silence for the five or ten minutes or so before worship, but not at that church. At that church, you would hear people talking and catching up with one another and hugging, shaking one another's hands. But this was a concern, so we talked it over at staff, at our staff meeting. What do we do? How do we quiet everyone down? And you know what we decided? We decided that we were going to stop making apologies for who we are as a lively community of faith. <laughs> In any case, we decided we couldn't stop it if we wanted. We couldn't stop the ruckus if we wanted. And so instead, when it was time to get started, what we would do is sound a bell. And so... We bought a handbell, a big one, and we sounded it before every worship service. And what happened when we sounded the bell? Everyone stopped, just like in middle school. And they took their seats and they settled in and they got centered on the movement of God in the place. That's how we started off. It was a great tradition that they still 
keep on with. We couldn't stop the ruckus if we wanted to, but we could sound the bell. That's the way things are here at the Kirk, too. We sound the bell and we start worship together. We almost can sense when that bell starts that there's something different about the posture we take as a community. We get centered on the movement of God in the place. The ruckus of the world is set aside and don't we all need that? I hope that's why we come to church on a Sunday morning, at least to a degree, because we need to, to set the ruckus of the world aside, at least for a moment, right? Set it aside right now. Just do it. Set the ruckus aside. The bell's been sounded this morning. Set it aside and get centered on the movement of God in this place. You can do it. The bell's been sounded. The author of Hebrews is, is trying to do that. What I just did, he's trying to do that for those reading his letter for the first time. See, the author of Hebrews is writing his letter to this community of people who are representing a hybrid of Christianity and Judaism. They've heard the story of Jesus. They've turned themselves over to the story of Jesus, but they're not sure that they can bank on the story of Jesus. They're upset. They're disrupted. They don't know what to do with the ruckus. John Shelley writes that the writer of Hebrews has introduced the idea of faith as a courage to endure in and amidst the ruckus. Can't make it go away, but you can endure. You can persevere in and through it. You can keep sounding the bell. You can't eliminate the ruckus, but you can sound the bell. He's calling on them to persevere. They need inspiration to persevere. Can't just tell somebody, keep it up, stay strong. You need to be inspired. You need to hear stories about how others have done that before, don't you? In order to set it aside and keep on going, in order to sound the bell, don't you need to hear about how others have been here before? And he does that. Maybe the author of Hebrews knows that you need inspiration too. Not just that community back then, but do you think maybe he knows that you need it too? He knows about their ruckus, but maybe he knows about your ruckus too. He's heard about the way that that little tribe was getting pushed around and cast aside, generally discouraged and distracted in their lives of faith. Maybe he's heard about how you are generally discouraged and distracted, how the ruckus is coming to a boil in your world. Maybe he's heard. But the writer of Hebrews couldn't stop it if he wanted theirs or ours. So what does he do? He sounds a bell. And he reminds them that the community's been sounding the bell for a really long time. See, in the chapter preceding the very loud scripture reading that Pastor Edwin offered us, chapter 12, in chapter 11, in chapter 11, he offers this reminder of how the community of God, the people of faith, have been sounding the bell for a really long time. He tells them about Abel. Do you remember Abel, Cain's brother? 
Abel sounded the bell, the writers of Hebrews says, by giving God the best that he had. Is that how we sound the bell today? He talks about Noah. Remember Noah, the flood, the rainbow? Noah sounded the bell by trusting God. Can we do that? In the midst of the ruckus, just like Noah did. Can he inspire us? He talks about Abraham, who sounded the bell by believing that God would keep his promise. Will God keep his promise? Believe it. That's how we sound the bell and in the midst everything that's going on. Moses sounded the bell by leading God's people out of suffering. Rahab sounded the bell by providing shelter for God's people who face danger. Who are God's people facing danger these days? Can we provide shelter for them? That's sounding the bell. And then he sounds the bell for that time and place. He says it's time for us to pick up where these witnesses have left off. Since we are surrounded, he says, by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us then lay aside every weight and the sin that that clings to us so closely and let us run with perseverance, with hupomeno in the Greek, the race that is set before us. The writer of Hebrews couldn't stop the first century religious ruckus if he wanted. And guess what? He can't stop ours either. It's not going away. Really, it's not going away. It's never gone. The ruckus is always going to be a part of what we call life. So what does he do? says it's their turn to get started and persevere. He sounds the bell and he he reminds them that God's been doing this and God's going to do this forever. Sound the bell so that everyone will stop and take their seats and naturally get centered on the movement of God in the place because whatever faces us today, it is, as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, God's kingdom and power and glory forever. That forever can inform how we sound the bell today. I don't know how long I have a claim on this life. Taking a kid to college is a good reminder of that, actually. I don't know how long I'll be Offered the privilege of sounding the bell, of following in line, and you don't either. Life is so short and fragile. But we can know that God has a claim on what's at the end of the timeline, that God knows what's going on in the forever, and as such, we can persevere in the today. in whatever time we have left on this rock, as this little group of people called the community of faith, called Kirk in the Hills, we get to be part of the bell ringing, anticipating the forever to come. It may be that your ruckus is boiling. In fact, I bet it is. I mean, there's a general ruckus in just about every direction that we look Is there not? People, I think, some people have just gone and lost their stuff. 
They're lost it. Don't know what's going on. And I'm going to say it because I know everyone else is thinking it. But it isn't going away, so what do we do in its midst? There's a pastor named Andy Stanley who recently shared about how he feels with all the ruckus is boiling. He says, sometimes I just want it to stop. All this talk about COVID and looting and brutality. He says, I lose my way. I become convinced that this new normal is real life. He said, then I meet an 87-year-old who talks of living through polio and diphtheria, Vietnam protests, and yet is still enchanted with life. Oh, I love that word, enchanted. Enchanted with life. He seemed surprised, Stanley says, when I said that 2020 must have been especially challenging for him. No, he said slowly, looking at him straight in the eyes, I learned a long time ago to not see the world through the printed headlines, the ruckus. I see the world through the people that surround me. I see the world with the realization that we love big. Therefore, I just choose to write my own headlines. Husband loves wife today. Family drops everything to come to grandma's bedside. He patted him on the hand. Old man makes new friend. What are the headlines you would write today? How would you sound the bell in the midst of the ruckus? How would you confront the headlines of today with one that thinks more about God's power and kingdom that is forever? What are your headlines? Sound the bell. We sound the bell by coming together like this every Sunday that we might learn to write new headlines together, that we might be inspired to write headlines in light of the good news that God is in charge, and not just today, but forever. We sound the bell and we sound it on time, just like a good middle school principal does, that everyone would stop and take their seats and get centered on the movement of God in this place, in this world. Amen.